MRD and AML is my title. What is it and what do I do about it? So MRD stands for measurable, I hope I've gotten that point across, residual disease, not minimal residual disease. And you're going to hear a ton about MRD today, tomorrow, and the next day. But keep in mind that we've talked about ALL, where MRD has numbers that matter, is measurable, there are labs that do it routinely. You're going to hear about um, CLL and myeloma, which, is, uh, which are also areas that are light years ahead of us. And now we are in the land of a bit of a mess, which is AML-MRD. So I'm going to try to make some sense out of it. So this curve is, again, why we've been excluded for so long from this meeting, because we had kind of unexciting therapy, and we were hanging out here at the x-axis in terms of overall uh, survival improvements in five years. Lots of other things which you can, you don't have to see the titles, but all the stuff on top is all the stuff that happens on Thursday and Friday. Hodgkin's, CLL, myeloma, everything's getting better, but we were down here. And why is that? What is the problem um, with uh, AML? Why aren't we curing more patients? So the answer lies probably in what's left over after you've treated the disease. And if you look at the detection thresholds of various MRD modalities compared to traditional complete remission criteria, what you can see is a progressive increase in sensitivity as you go from uh, microscopy in fish, then over to flow cytometry, and then down to the detection limit of 10 to the minus 6 for mutational profiling or next generation sequencing. So if if you look at a patient in CR and you get back that bone marrow biopsy report and it says in the aspirate that you have 3% blasts and the patient has 120,000 uh, platelets, you're thinking that you're in good shape. But the problem is if you look at this graph, you can see the logs of the disease that are left over. So measurable dis residual disease is what's left over. And quantification of this has a lot of implications because it can represent inherent leukemia biology, drug resistance mechanisms, the adequacy of your treatment. Maybe your treatment is on your way to clearing the marrow, but it's just you need more of it or you need something added to it. There are other host drug interactions that could influence response, which we don't even know about. But if you look over here at the uh, method and then at the sensitivity, you can see that going from cytogenetics to next generation sequencing, these are orders of magnitudes of difference in sensitivity. But is that the whole story? Do we want to know if there's one in a million AML cells or one in five million or one in a billion? What do we do with that information? Also, you have to look that even cytogenetics testing can be a pain in the neck to get back. It can take a couple of weeks. The only thing that is really routinely available and inexpensive is flow cytometry, and that actually doesn't offer us a great piece of news in AML because it's difficult to use flow cytometry to measure MRD, and I'll talk about that. Sequencing shows you a lot, but again, what do we do with that leftover cell? And it's expensive. So what, what, what do we say about all this? Is this patient in remission? There's a 55-year-old woman with a FLT3 ITD and NPM1 mutations. She gets um, conventional cytarabine and uh, donorubicin chemotherapy combined with mitostorin. At the end of the treatment, the bone marrow shows 2% blasts. The CBC has normal blood counts. 
This feels like remission. Standard morphologic CR, bone marrow blasts are right. You don't have other uh, circulating blasts. You don't have extramedullary disease. The ANC is over 1,000. Platelet count is over 100,000. You're done, right? Probably not since I'm giving a lecture on this. So what's the issue? ELN 2017, you actually have to read this paper, sorry. You have to pull this paper if you're treating AML because there is a new response category in AML and this is called complete remission without minimal residual disease. The problem is it's telling you in your office to look for something that is very difficult to look for. So I'm going to try to break down what is actually practical and what's coming in terms of MRD measurement. But CR alone isn't good enough. We want deeper than that. So persistent, persistence of MRD by multi-parameter flow is highly prognostic in younger patients with AML. There's one paper after another. This one I picked from MD Anderson, 280 patients treated with their standard, which is intermediate dose iterabine plus idorubicin. They got remission. Median age is 51. The range was 17 to 79. And 186 of these patients were assessed for MRD with a flow cytometry panel. And the finding is that MRD negativity is associated clearly with improved relapse-free survival and improved overall survival. Survival. So you can see relapse-free survival on one side, you can see overall survival on the other side. These graphs are always difficult to project in large rooms, but trust me, it's not rocket science. If you look at all the ones that are doing better, they are all as measured MRD negative. And the point there is to look at the difference between the curves. If you look at the ones that are improved um, relapse-free survival and also overall survival, these are substantial differences. These aren't the curves that are almost superimposed here. So that's giving you a flavor that flow cytometry really matters in figuring out how close your patient is, honestly, to living or dying based on these curves. Now, if you look at um, the, the worst news is that it's pretty clearly shown that MRT, uh, MRD positivity by flow has poor outcomes even with allogeneic stem cell transplantation, which is our most powerful weapon to date in AML. So in this study, this one's coming out um uh, coming out of the Hutch, uh, coming out of um, Seattle, 359 um, consecutive patients who had an aloe in first or second morphologic CR um, or with active disease. They did 10 color flow. They did the different from normal methodology. I'm going to pause there for a minute. This talk can't address the complicated calculus of looking at flow in AML, but basically there are a couple of different approaches. The LAIP or the Leukemia Association immunophenotype method versus the different from normal method. And the bottom line is, it matters what your pathologist is looking at. Are they trying to compare whether the cells are the same as what the patient started out with? Or are they just looking at, are they different from normal? Are you looking at four colors, eight colors, 10 colors, 14 colors? beyond the scope of this talk, but it matters. And it's, again, a conversation that needs to happen with the pathologist. In this, they were looking at the different from normal approach, and they considered any residual disease positive. And you, if you look here at the cumulative incidence of relapse, you can see that on the, um, uh, on the blue line, which is the lowest rates of relapse, those patients are MRD negative. At the top, this is what shocks most people, that MRD 
positive remission is hovering right at active disease if you do an allotransplant. Nobody liked to see this paper when it came out because you think for sure that if you have a patient with active disease, you know that their outcomes aren't going to be as good with transplant and you're worried about that. But MRD positivity gave you the same curve. So this is quite... Um, quite alarming. If you look at sort of the flip of that, which is overall survival, again, if you have active disease or you have MRD positive remission and you're going into a stem cell transplant, your outcomes are significantly worse than expected. So what we're learning is that MRD positivity matters and it's bad, but what isn't going to be revealed in this talk is how to fix that problem. So that's going to be annoying for you. I'll just get that out there now, that we don't know exactly how to fix it, but we know we need to try. So here, association between pre-transplant disease status um, and outcome for 279 AML patients undergoing myeloablative transplant while in morphologic remission. Again, coming out um, of Seattle, but the curves are where you think they are in that if you're MRD positive, it is worse in terms of overall survival. You have higher rates of uh, relapse. But actually, if you look at the probability of non-relapse mortality, that's not where the problem is. So it really is MRD that is driving these transplant-related outcomes. And even if you are in CR2, so if you look at the CR2 negative MRD, that's actually, even that's doing better than if you get into first remission and you have residual disease. So I think these data are surprising to many who hang out um, in uh, the lymphoid space with, um, uh, you know, with, with, with CLL, with my here you're talking transplant. You're thinking you're wiping out all of the disease and solving the problem, and you're not. So what about post-transplant? Well, you're supposed to wipe everything out, except there can be disease even post-transplant. And as you might imagine from everything that I'm saying, it's not good. So in this study coming out of MD Anderson, 269 patients in CR1 or CR2 had a transplant. After transplant, they assessed MRD at three time points, at day 30, at day 100, and day 180. And basically, anything after day 30, if you had detectable MRD, it's predicting an impending relapse. So you're, you want to be thinking, what could I do here? Is there anything that I can do? Can I do something, a trial, a hypomethylating agent, DLI, extra prayer? Something has to be done because you're watching an oncoming train. So here, what's also alarming is that if you look at the... Um, uh, the post-stem uh, uh, cell transplant MRD status as um, in risk stratification, if you look here, even compared directly to ELN adverse, the prognostic impact of MRD status, positive MRD, is even more powerful as a prognostic indicator than, for example, the ELN risk stratification. So I think that I'm hopefully over and over again making the point, but the point I'm making is with flow cytometry. So the the only thing that you can do at the moment is know for sure whether you are or are not getting an MRD assessment when you get back your bone marrow aspirate at the time of um, uh, at the time of conclusion of your therapy. Now, what about deeper responses with chemotherapy versus hypomethylating agents? People have a tendency to feel that well, hypomethylators just don't get you a deep enough response. So you can have achievement of negative minimal residual disease state after hypomethylating 
activating agents too. In older patients, this reduces the risk of relapse. These data coming out of MD Anderson looked at 194 patients getting azacitidine, dicitabine, or guadacitabine, which is a next generation um, hypomethylator. They were again looked at by flow and um, half of the patients had a valuable MRD data. And in that, sorry, I went too quickly, there the, redu the risk of relapse was reduced, but there wasn't yet a change in overall survival. So the question is why is that? What's happening in overall survival in older patients? But the, the point I was trying to make is that it's not a true statement to say that if you're treated with a hypomethylator or with a hypomethylating combination that you shouldn't be looking for MRD negativity because it can be achieved. Now that's all flow. What else can we do? Well, you can measure by PCR. Now if you have a PCRable lesion, you should be checking for MRD by PCR. So for example here in core binding factor leukemias, you can clearly see that if you're looking at copy numbers, if you have on the uh, blue line, for example, greater than 500 copies, you're going to relapse. Whether, whereas if you have fewer than 10 on the red line, you um, are going to probably be okay. So the point here is to have a look at inversion 16 and 821 patients by quantitative PCR assessment. Again, you're going to need to talk to your lab to make sure that are you getting a qualitative assessment, yes, no, detectable, undetectable, or are you actually getting a number? Because it is quite clear in these patients when they're followed serially that if you have undetectable disease and then you have a rising burden, that patient is at imminent risk for relapse. And especially if you're picking it up in the blood, the bone, the blood is less sensitive for these measurements than the bone marrow. That patient, if they are detectable in the blood and they haven't been before, should have a bone marrow biopsy very quickly. Now, PCR-based MRT, uh, MRD for mutant NPM1 hit the New England Journal, so it has to hit my talk, but it's a little bit of a challenge because most patients, uh, most uh, doctors can't get this test yet, hopefully coming soon. But basically, once again, these curves show clear splits that if you are detectable, and these were blood levels measured by PCR in consolidation patients getting standard chemotherapy consolidations for NPM1 mutations, if you're MRD negative, these patients actually did quite well. Now here's something just to confuse everybody. So depending on where you are in the world, as Dr. Lee mentioned, mutations often hang out together. So what if you have a FLT3 plus an NPM1? Well, we already said that that changes your ELN risk stratification, but what about transplant? What if you have an NPM1 mutation plus 23 others? Depending on where you are in the world, and for example in Germany, if you have multiple mutations concomitantly with an NPM1, you're still not getting a transplant in first remission. They are using quantitative NPM1 monitoring for those patients. Again, I'm not advocating what is right or wrong, but there are no absolutes here. We don't know yet exactly what we're doing. And I certainly feel that for NPM1 mutated patients who would be high risk for whatever reason in going into a transplant, one can recognize that there might be monitoring strategies for those patients that would allow you not to transplant them and to continue monitoring. Don't bother typing the question on your iPad saying, well, what are you going to do about it if they relapse? Because of course that is a problem and monitoring doesn't guarantee that the patient won't relapse. But in general, if you can hit the 50-50 mark for long-term disease-free survival with monitoring the patient and not transplanting, and if they have an upfront mortality 
fertility that's high with transplant, that's at least worth a conversation, I would argue. So moving on to molecular MRD. So you saw all of my um, opening slides that obviously uh, next generation sequencing is by far, by orders of magnitude, the most sensitive way to pick up mutations but you gotta be careful what you look for. So here in the New England Journal, and this paper caused a pandemonium, I think, when it came out, this is newly diagnosed AML in patients um, aged 18 to 65, targeted next generation sequencing and at diagnosis and after induction. Note to the real world, this isn't standard. You might not get this paid for. Be careful about this. This is a New England Journal paper on a study. Just be careful before you run home and do this. At least one mutation was detected in 89% of patients, and mutations persisted in 50% of the patients um, uh, during complete remission at various, very, uh, various allele frequencies. Now, the DTA mutations were not correlated with increased relapse rate. So DNMT3, TET2, and ASXL1 mutations were not correlated with increased risk of relapse. So put that in your mind as a mental note that just because you pick up something, it's not true that everything matters. So if you are sending these reports, don't necessarily ship the patient off for additional therapies because they have a, a residual DNMT3. And CHIP is a, a clonal hematopoiesis is a whole different discussion. In fact, that's a whole day. That's new day for next year is to talk about clonal hematopoiesis, Dr. Coleman, for an entire day. On this study, though, just note that these are persistent mutations in 50% of the patients in complete remission. So I think you probably can guess that having persistent mutations did not correlate with good outcomes. And you can see here that if you had uh, next generation positive, if you had uh, detectable mutations by sequencing in combination with detectable disease by flow, your chances of relapse are enormous. If you look down at the bottom there at the blue line, if you're next generation negative and um, flow negative, your chances of relapse are much lower. So the question for the field is how do you jump off that top curve and move down to zero out the uh, AML if you have detectable disease? And we don't know the answer to that question. So looking over here, this is another recently published paper. I wanted you to have a sense of sort of the, the um, fast fury that these papers are being published. Here you can see clearance of somatic mutations at remission and the risk of relapse in um, AML. So this is looking at, if you look at graph A, this is the overall survival for patients who did not clear their mutations completely at remission. If you look at the patients who got to stem cell uh, transplant, so no is the blue line, and yes is the uh, yellow line. This is overall survivals uh, for people who didn't um, clear their mutations. If you look at B, again, no transplant in blue, uh, transplant in yellow, this is the overall survival for patients who achieved complete mutational clearance. So again, no one is saying that not to do stem cell transplants. No one is saying... I think anything exactly about what to do stem cell transplant because that's going to be the next talk. But you have to be, uh, it has to be clear that it should be a goal to have mutational clearance because it looks like patients will do better. 
Um, if you look over here, this is just um, uh, uh, more of an effort to show, and it's I think very difficult to um, very difficult to uh, to tell. But the three columns are showing levels of mutational clearance. So down to a VAF of 2.5% to under 1%, and then complete mutational clearance. And the point of showing this, and again, just get a sense of the shape of the curves, is that we know that if it's present, we want to get rid of it. But again, the technology is allowing us to uh, measure lower and lower and lower levels. So at some point, we have to come up with numbers that are thresholds that are going to guide therapy, not thresholds that are just important for showing that your next generation sequencing testing is better than somebody else's. Here, though, it certainly appears to be the case that there might be an important number in variant allele frequency that is residual that actually separates people um, between doing well and doing less well. So um, in, in this, again, this I think possibly is the most recent one that, um, that came out, measurable residual disease MRD monitoring by um, next generation sequencing before allotransplant. My point in bringing this up is that this is an MD Anderson. This is a large European study. So this is a worldwide thing that is going into most of the major AML study centers that are using um, uh, over and over again demonstrating that if you have um, MRD as measured in the peripheral blood, as measured in the bone marrow, um, by next generation sequencing, it adversely impacts outcomes. So I think um, I'm probably not supposed to say things like this, but there was a famous statement about pornography that you know it when you see it. So th that is frequently used with respect to MRD, that everybody is saying, okay, we get it. If it is there, then it's a poor prognostic impact. But the point is to try to define what that means realistically for you in the office. So we worked really, really hard. This was an incredible group. And we met for years at assorted airports and rather shabby rooms in the basement, typically, of hotels. And this was a. Um, multinational effort to come up with a consensus document from the European Leukemia Net on what to do now with MRD, with the information that we have in hand. And I cannot tell you what it's like to be a voice of practical clinical reality with like 15 flow cytometry people. Uh, it, it, is, it is a mind-boggling experience. But we actually worked very hard to give instructions that would be relevant in clinic for patients today. And I hope you'll read the paper and find it useful. We did work hard on it. So the idea is that we want to refine morphology-based CR. We want to use MRD to try to get a better assessment of how your patient is going to do and what might be the options for that patient. MRD monitoring should be considered part of the standard of care. Monitoring beyond two years of follow-up is something that we couldn't comment on. There were actually not uh, enough data. But patients with molecularly defined lesions, okay, so NPM1, RUNCS1, um, uh, the core binding factor diseases, or um, uh, APL should have molecular assessments. So the RUNCS ones, just so you know, those in that case, that's the 821s, and then the um, CBF MyH11 is the inversion 16s. These are the patients who ha should have quantitative measurements if possible. NPM1 is difficult to get, but possibly you might be near a center that does NPM1 monitoring, and you might be able to work in collaboration um, on a particular patient. 
Um, MRD should be assessed pre-transplant and should also be performed post-transplant. At the moment, there is variability whether this is done with both next-generation sequencing and with flow cytometry. Certainly on a research basis, we are doing both. And the point is not necessarily that we know specifically what to do, but there are um, uh, high-risk strategies that are available both on and off clinical trials that at least might be considered for your patient. All clinical trials should require molecular um, uh, and uh, multi-parameter flow cytometry assessment. And we wrote this in the paper specifically to beg our colleagues in pharma to allow um, correlative uh, testing to be performed for all of the clinical trials so that we can look at things like mutational clearance, for example. Um, I, I hope the paper is useful, and uh, thank you for your attention. I'm going to move into the uh, next zone, which is what to do with all of this and who should be transplanted in AML. And I am looking, there he is.